Hello, everybody. I'm Kim Elena Ionescu. You're listening to the RICO Podcast, a special episode of the SCA Podcast. The RICO Podcast is dedicated to new thinking, discussion, and leadership in specialty coffee, featuring talks, discussions, and interviews from RICO Symposium, SCA's premier event dedicated to amplifying the voices of those who are driving specialty coffee forward. Check out the show notes for links to our YouTube channel where you can find videos of these talks. This episode of the RICO Podcast is supported by Toddy. For over 50 years, Toddy brand cold brew systems have delighted baristas, food critics, and regular folks alike. By extracting all the natural and delicious flavors of coffee and tea, Toddy cold brew systems turn your favorite coffee beans and tea leaves into fresh cold brew concentrates that are ready to serve and enjoy. Learn more about Toddy at toddycafe.com. Toddy, cold brewed, simply better. On this episode of the RICO podcast, we are pleased to welcome Vava Anguenyi, founder and chief coffeeholic at Vava Coffee Limited and co-founder and director of Gente del Futuro. Vava sources coffee from farmers in Kenya and around East Africa, and most recently has worked with Fairtrade Africa to develop and launch two brands, Zawadi Coffee, the first Fairtrade certified women-owned coffee in Kenya, and Kipkelian Union Coffee. At RICO Symposium in April, Vava used the story of that project to reflect on sustainability challenges in coffee more broadly. Vava, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Thanks, Kim. Uh, lovely to be here and um, looking forward to this uh, conversation. Me too. I really, really enjoyed seeing you present at RICO, and I have a couple of questions. So for this podcast, we're going to start by listening to your talk at RICO, and we'll come back to talk after the session. So let's do that. Here's Vava Anguenyi at the 2018 RICO Symposium in Seattle. So a couple of months ago, almost on the verge of despair as a coffeepreneur, I stumbled across an opportunity that saved me from what I now refer to as losing my religion. As an entrepreneur, I was asking myself the question, given the goals and objectives we've set out as an organization, are we really still authentic in achieving our goals? And having received my baptism by fire in the Kenyan coffee industry, I was desperately seeking that opportunity that would re help me regain my hope and help me still believe that we can still provide producers with sustainable livelihoods and remain profitable in an industry that is so cutthroat, capital intensive, and with so many hidden codes that you only slowly discover after you've lost some money. So I got an introduction to a group of producers in the Kenyan Rift Valley. And coupled with my sense of curiosity and adventure, we decided as an organization to embark on this adventure to innovate with this new group of producers, Kenyan style, of course. Now, I'm sure that when I talk about coffee-producing uh, regions in Kenya, most of the room here is very familiar with central Kenya, and when I drop names like Nyeri, Odaya, Kirinyaga, we're also familiar, most of us, with those names. But when I talk about Kabngetuni, Kapkiai, 
and Kipkelion, I may draw a couple of blanks in the room because those are relatively, I would say, newer regions where there's an amazing coffee happening in those regions, but it's slowly getting to this market. Now, in this region, a group of men came up with the model and decided to approach both the local government, a developmental organization, and private sector to implement this idea that they had. Now, these men decided to empower their wives. They decided that they wanted to give a couple of coffee bushes to their wives, and in turn also get this coffee certified and find perhaps new alternatives to what has been a cycle that is really not making sense to them, the ordinary um, market to which they're selling their coffee currently. Now, a couple of statistics on land ownership in Kenya. Now, in Kenya currently, 5% of land is owned jointly by husband and wife, 1% is owned by women, and the other 94% is wholly owned by men. Now in Kenya as well, 32% of households are headed by women, mine included, and 68% of households are jointly run by husband and wife. Now the ownership of assets is not just important to that smallholder farmer. Asset ownership is crucial for any person venturing into business or when you're an adult. And I can tell you that when you don't own assets, there are various hurdles that will be difficult for you to jump as a business person, um, as any individual. Because if your husband does not sign on that dotted line or your significant other or your parents, then uh, you'll miss out on certain opportunities in you know, developing yourself as a person. So, this goes to show you how unique this model is, especially in a society that is so patriarchal. Now, other objectives that were part of this project were to develop biogas units for the different uh, women's groups. So, we worked on developing 400 biogas units, 290 for the Kamgetunyi women and 110 for the other group of women. And of course, this has helped improve various environmental factors, there's green energy, and the farmers now have diversified in the farming methods and are earning an extra income through all of this. I'd like to take a moment and focus a little about the word that we sometimes throw around, value addition at origin. Now, why is this crucial? We have to learn to tell our own stories not just in this scenario, but whether you're a country, an individual, a business. If you do not own your story and your narrative is told by someone else, you lose your power. Value addition at origin is not only crucial to these farmers simply because it's another revenue stream, it is important because it now gives them the power to negotiate when they are dealing with buyers who want to come you know, buy the green coffee. And value addition is not simply sourcing quality coffee, roasting it, and taking it to market through the various distribution channels. When we were working on this project, it took us time 
to work on the branding and marketing of these two brands. And on the 1st and 2nd of February this year, we managed to launch Zawadi Coffee, which is a certified women's coffee, the first of its kind in Africa, a coffee that is actually owned by women. When I talk about ownership, you can trace this coffee right down to the farms. The coffee is processed separately from the men's coffee, and it is certified separately from the men's coffee. And we also helped to launch Kipkelion Union Coffee, which is a coffee, the first value-add coffee for the farmers in this region. The branding and marketing exercise, for those of you who are familiar with branding, I mean, it's an exercise that is very intense. Um, so the farmers had to be taken through the training as to why perhaps we chose the names. The name Zawadi uh, basically means gift in Swahili, given that the husbands gifted the women um, uh, the coffee bushes. And today, I'm happy to uh, let you know that you can enjoy the Great Rift Valley in your cup. Now, during, uh, this, um, during the launch, one of the, the major historical things that we witnessed was, for the first time, smallholder farmers were getting to taste coffee. For the first time, smallholder farmers got to taste a cappuccino, a latte. For the first time, the smallholder farmer that toils day in, day out, with meager resources and various obstacles, got to appreciate the final fruits of their labor. And for the first time, they were getting to even see an espresso machine and understand what the, you know, when they're told produce an 86 plus coffee or when someone, when a buyer comes and says, I want this kind of coffee. For the first time, they were getting to appreciate, you know, the lingo that is, you know, with the coffee sector. Now, during uh, this project, of course, there's been various obstacles that we've come across. There's been a lot of cynicism. Um, and there's been people, I mean, there's been men within these um, communities who have started feeling disempowered. And these are questions we have to ask ourselves, both as private sector and the, the de developmental world, that when we talk about empowerment, what, do we, what does empowerment look like for both the communities and for us as the investors in these communities. But what we have seen despite these obstacles is a project that has been successful, a project that can actually be replicated in other coffee-growing regions. The simple act of choosing to cooperate with another individual, that simple act of choosing trust over cynicism, of choosing generosity over selfishness lights up the mind with quiet joy. And what better project to cooperate with or to cooperate on than trying to improve the world that we live in for all of us. However, I have to talk about the paradox that comes with the word empowerment. When you're entering into a partnership where there may be a shift in the power balance. It becomes a relationship like that of a parent and a child. As a parent, you are trying to create an independent child. 
Your child may end up not seeing the world the same way that you do. Now, if we're to move away from the notion of colonial development, we must learn to take very high risks. And these risks involve, you know, putting up with um, results that may, you may not have envisioned. When we are going into these communities talking about empowerment and when you empower them and you still want to exercise control, that is the wrong way of going about this whole exercise of empowerment. We have to learn to let go. You have to learn to let things grow. And when your time is done with a community, you have to perhaps step back and watch it flourish. I find that there's this paradox between the definition of what we as investors, whether we are the developmental world or the private sector viewers, what is good for us, but we forget to factor in when you empower these communities, what should it look like for them? We have witnessed several times at Origin where people pull the plug on projects simply because things may not be going, and maybe the, the group that you've empowered is, is all of a sudden seeking different buyers or they're looking for other certifications and things like that. They, well, you empowered them. So and that's what empowerment, uh, you know, looks like. Now, I'd like for us to take a moment and imagine that we're all individual coffee beans. In Kenyan terms, there's 43 million coffee beans. 80% of these coffee beans are under the age of 35. Now, the problem with this 80% is that they're all fighting for the same water source. Now, growing up, myself and other young people grew up with the mentality that success is defined by money. Getting a corporate job, getting married, having kids, moving up the ladder, getting into retirement, and that cycle repeats itself. I live in a country where the unemployment rate is currently at 40%. Now, what if this 40% ventured into uncharted territories, decided to create their own land where they sought out other options? Now, with projects like what we've carried out, when we practically introduced or demystified the coffee chain to young people in these regions, we discovered that a lot of them had an interest in actually joining the coffee sector. Finally, they understood that coffee isn't just farming. You don't have to get into the coffee sector to take over your parents' property or your parents' land. You can become a queue grader, you can become a barista, you can become a trader, you can become an entrepreneur. Now, these are options which, for many folks at Origin, a lot of young people don't get to hear this. And it is important for them to understand that there are options. And for anyone who has lived in a poor community, they understand and they know that the most crippling effect of unemployment is the loss of self-esteem. And no matter what any economist will tell you, the purpose of business is to create self-esteem. So my concern is the future. How do we guarantee the next generation, our children, that indeed businesses can be both socially and environmentally conscious? 
Now, today, an ambitious and passionate duo that is a Colombian and a Kenyan came together and decided to start something that matters. After a lot of restlessness with the status quo and what the industry has become, we decided to radicalize and to try and decommoditize the coffee industry for the better of the next generation. Now, more than a decade ago, when I got into this industry and I decided to go back home, I went back home with a singular resolve to try and create change and to positively disrupt the sector and try and just provide a new way to look at things. You know, despite the corruption and the fear and the poverty that I saw back home, I still saw smiles. What I saw were people that wanted their lives changed, but they didn't have a voice. And today, I am here to share some of those stories with you. But this doesn't have to end here. I would like for all of us to look at the people in your lives, the people who perhaps have fallen on the wrong soil and need some nourishment. I encourage you to nourish them in one way or another, be it with education, be it with economic empowerment, be it with love. Then the dreams that we all imagine can be dreams that become a reality. I want us to collaborate in one way or another and invest in the future of women and youth. Thank you. That was Vava Angwenyi at Rico Symposium this past April. So, Vava, your presentation tells a story about a project that Vava Coffee is part of that focuses on women. On paper, that project has similar aims to many projects, but it seems to have better outcomes. Do you think that's true? And if so, what factors have contributed to that unusual success? Well, yeah, I would say that indeed um, it has had better outcomes than, um, I would say, similar or projects that are of sort of a similar nature because, for one, the the whole initiative started um, with the farmers themselves. They came up with this idea of uh, uh, the men gifting um, the women, their wives or their daughters, uh, some coffee bushes. And um, none of us initiated this idea. The idea came from uh, the men. I would guess due to some of the exposure they'd had at... Uh, uh, reading up on women in coffee or <clears throat> why it was important to empower the women in their lives. So when they approached um, both, I would say, Fairtrade uh, as well as a private sector partner to come on board to facilitate <clears throat> the whole process of product development and improving coffee quality as well as taking it to the market, um, inevitably it was bound to have you know, uh, huge successes due to the fact that they were invested in it fully. And it wasn't something that, you know, that someone came to, you know, initiate for them. And I would say that um, in, for, for anything that one sort of initiates on their own, and it's like inborn with the blood, sweat and tears that goes into it, it would definitely 
uh, it's bound to be successful uh, to a large extent as opposed to a project that is sort of sold to a community. Have you had that same experience or seen that same thing in other projects or programs that you've been part of? Um, when you say it's bound to succeed, I'd mm-hmm. love to hear more about whether or not that's been consistent with other experiences you've had. I would say um, in this regard, I would say this this one had has had, I would say, by far the most in terms of um, impact and farmer investment. Um, and the farmers have been very aggressive in ensuring that despite uh, the funding period having ended um, and them needing further help with training and other capacity building exercises, um, <clears throat> they are still reaching out to us to help support uh, the market entry uh, and other areas of product development. Um, other projects uh, we've been a part of have had, I would say, their hiccups because when you have <clears throat> an instance where the community is not invested and they feel, uh, you know, sort of feel like um, something is alien or something is being inflicted on them, um, it takes a while to sort of break through those boundaries to 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 have something successful. I would I would say that in the eight years that I've worked in another region in Kenya, the central part of Kenya, we've not had as much success as uh, this group in Rift Valley, simply because, also because of cultural um, issues per se, whereby uh, it's it's super patriarchal in Central. I know that, I mean, in Africa, we live in a patriarchal society in general, but uh, given we are also from different tribes and in Central is predominantly the Kikuyu tribe, and the men in this region are, I would say, super <laughs> patriarchal in the sense that um, they really are not um, very open to this whole idea of empowering women. Uh, so it's taken us a lot longer to educate them on the importance and why this is actually a good thing. And I would say out of the successes of this project in Rift Valley, they are now seeking us out to come work with the women uh, we're trying to show them that you're not losing your power by, you know, ensuring that your wife um, can help support the family unit. And essentially, it is good for you as a man to have your wife also have her own income and perhaps just that separation of, um, you know, let's see how this can work better if your wife actually is in charge of a particular, um, you know, section of the farm. And and let's see if there's, there's indeed um, any difference also in the types of um, revenue generated between the, the her coffee and your coffee and how all of that to, impacts the family unit. So I can say that we've not had, um, I mean, we've definitely had a couple of um, hitches in, in other regions, uh, particularly because of uh, this issue of how does empowerment look like? And if I give my wife coffee bushes, does she take over? Um, am I losing my power as a man? And, you know, all of those questions pop up. And so we have to look for a delicate balance between what we want to achieve and how this positively impacts our community. So, you know, you mentioned this hunger for the project participants to continue getting market access and to continue with components of the project, even after the funding ended. And one thing that I really appreciate about this project that 
you discussed is the value addition component of roasting the coffee and marketing the coffee. And I wonder if, you know, again, if that's unique and if there are other examples of programs or producers or even producer representatives who are telling their own story in ways that inspire you. Um, this uh, has been, this one was particularly special and I can say because we were really heavily involved as well as the fact that it was um, uh, the first uh, certified women's coffee where you can actually trace the coffee back to the farm and clearly demarcate the coffee from the women as opposed to the coffee from the men because we went right down to ensuring that the women's coffee was processed separately at the wet mill and all of this is traceable right to the farm. So this made it that special. And the fact that we helped launch two separate brands, uh, the women's coffee uh, known as Zawadi, which means gift in Swahili. Uh, and then there was the men's coffee, which uh, with the value addition project, we that was all consolidated and under one brand for the particular meal that processes that coffee. So... The value addition part for me is is one of the, I'd say it's one of the biggest uh, takeaways from projects like this because uh, a lot of us don't realize how strong it is to own your own narrative and to tell your own story as opposed to sort of waiting for, um, you know, what I say is that savior, The it could be a white savior or any other savior that you have in mind in terms of a developmental organization to come and sort of have you own what you're producing. And the farmers were heavily involved um, at inception in articulating what they wanted to see out of this. They wanted to create uh, strong brands that resonated also with the culture of this region and also with the work that had gone into putting through, because this farmers worked from, um, I can say it took about four years to get the coffee to the quality it is today. A lot of agronomy interventions, a lot of training on what specialty coffee is, a lot of cupping sessions on the ground, and to the point whereby finally they're seeing the coffee roasted and packed at source. It was an amazing story uh, for all of us that were involved in this project. And of course, the certification bit, of course, also uh, was like a little icing on the cake for, for these farmers because, of course, um, you know, the perks of certification, the, 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 the premium that goes with selling that coffee at that price. Uh, there have been like smaller projects that help... Uh, sort of encourage value addition at origin, but none has been as successful as this in on in out in, in the whole of Kenya. Uh, simply because all the others have never had the guidance that this one had and I would say a good team like this project had. I didn't work, I've never worked on um, um, you know the other projects. I think most people think that value addition is simply roasting coffee and trying to take it to market. We we don't look at the uh, and I'm talking about in, in the case of uh, an origin country trying to have farm, have producers roast at origin, uh, people forget uh, there is a, a whole exercise that goes into branding, um, getting the right packaging, getting the right narrative for that coffee so that people are actually drawn to buying that coffee. And then there's the toughest part of it is because we don't consume a lot of coffee in Kenya. It's trying to 
get the locals to actually be a part of this process and start consuming coffee. Now, for us, I can say um, one of the biggest um, things was to have these farmers finally taste their coffee in the different forms that even in consuming countries, they drink the coffee. So we did the cappuccinos, the espressos, and it was a whole sort of educational exercise in this to actually um, achieving this. So this, I would say, was, you know, a milestone for for this particular uh, community to finally have the coffee packaged and taken to market and for the narrative to be told in a way that they were proud of. In listening to your talk, I noticed that animal husbandry and biogas were part of the project. And I wonder how important do you believe income diversification is for the sustainability of coffee production in Kenya? Um, this is, it's super crucial for farmers, smallholder farmers, especially to diversify their sources of income because you can't fully rely out there on, on coffee production to sustain your, your family livelihood. So we, we do encourage farmers to be sustainable in that, in that, in that way, uh, by ensuring that, uh, you know, they have cattle and from the cattle that they keep, um, you know, you, you have the biogas, uh, that you can also, uh, have as a source of, of income. Um, there's, a horticulture that we encourage farmers who can do horticulture to be a part of and to have sort of that type of a sustainable farm whereby coffee is just a part of it. Um, it could be a major part of it, but then you're also earning other income from, you know, your biogas unit and other activities that you're doing on the farm. So we try and preach that to farmers uh, because, I mean, it is a very... Um, I mean, the coffee industry is very, um, it's its a volatile market and, you know, you, you don't know what one season to the next sort of looks like. But we are in the business of trying to make it more sustainable. But at the same time, we always preach diversification to, to our farmers. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder whether the, um, you know, there's a, a tie in here to questions about empowerment. Because one of the most memorable parts of the presentation for me, and I think for other people in the audience also, was when you started to talk about empowerment and what it looks like and sometimes what it doesn't look like. And you mentioned saviors earlier. Um, and, you know, diversification could be a part of that or just choice. I think choice was a big part of that. And can you please say a little bit more about that? All right. Um, to me, I think there seems to be... Um, um, sort of a misperception of what empowerment looks like or what it should be. Uh, we all talk about women empowerment, uh, let's empower farmers, let's empower people in this chain. But then it becomes like a conflict of interest because I'm like, uh, and I've observed, for me, I, I, I spoke about this from observation on the ground. Uh, when we have done projects with various development organizations, it's like they never want to let go they empower a community. They go out and they say they're empowering a community. I'm, right now I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> I'm like, uh, they're empowering a community. But then it's more like we are telling you what to do and this is how we want it to look like because we have a couple of boxes to tick on this project and you guys have to do it this way. And I think there's a conflict of interest in terms of what these communities really want and which is why I'm like, projects need to be done in a collaborative effort. And I remember I gave this example of um, parents and children. When we're empowering our children, 
you know, how that empowerment comes out, you've got no control of what your, how empowered your, your child will be in the end, but your idea as a parent is to make your children as independent as possible and free them to the world and whatever happens, happens, but also be there for support if they need the support, but don't dictate um, because I think the moment that we refuse to let go when after we've empowered these communities, it ends up being sort of like modern day colonialism in a sense. And um, we see this a lot on the ground in Africa with several projects where because a certain um, NGO has invested in a community, they, they, they act like they own this community. And the moment that these communities try and exercise the, power, the freedom of choice, uh, they have backlash and a lot of things stall over time because of these processes and because communities are then subjected to audits that are unnecessary and back and forth that is just totally unnecessary. And all of this comes from this mindset of how developmental organizations think that things should run. And most of this ideals or ideas of how projects should run is never realistic or practical in an environment where private sector should be thriving in driving the economy. So uh, for me, I've, I've had like a real tug of war with this, this uh, issue of empowerment. It's like um, you go to, and also a lot of us organizations, we never look at, did our empowerment have negative effects on those communities? I'll give you an example of this particular project uh, where we go out and we say we're empowering groups of women, but n- none of us ever looks back and sees or looks at the maybe domestic violence uh, that we have created in these communities because of our lack of cultural efficacy when we went in to empower these groups of women. How many of us collect data to inform us as to how many marriages are no longer working because we went out and empowered a whole group of women? Now, every time this woman goes home, the husband is beating up on them because they think that the woman is taking over the homestead. We don't, we actually and not self-reflecting on how empowering are our activities or are they disempowering in a sense. So for me, it's, it's also, I said this basically to challenge all of us as a community to reflect on what, is, what indeed does empowerment look like and what is the best um, picture or um, what is the best illustration of empowerment in any of these communities? And that is why I believe in the power of collaboration when we're going into work in communities where we've got no uh, cultural efficacy. So work with the locals, but also work with these farmers to to get a good, um, to be better informed as to what empowerment looks like to them. And I'm like, yes, indeed, there's things in these communities that happen that should not be happening. But let us tread carefully when we're, going out and trying to tick our own boxes. Uh, let us work together rather than just for our own self-interests to to tick these boxes. Yeah, it feels to me like this is one of those areas where we, we may be trying to impose really simple solutions or simple definitions. Like, yes, the community is empowered uh, versus the reality, which is much more complicated and, and maybe nuanced. And along with that complexity and that nuance comes extra resources. And sometimes that may be the resource of you know, money, the sort of financial piece of gathering data after doing some sort of project um, or before doing some sort of project. But then sometimes I also think it's a it's about time and the amount of time that we realistically have to 
invest and the amount of time that outsiders can invest in something versus someone who is part of a community and living um, and living a particular experience. And I know that that's something that you know really well and that you talk about frequently is uh, is building entrepreneurship within communities and uh, and especially among young people. Mm-hmm. So I know that young people are, are really a source of inspiration for you. And I wonder where you see the coffee industry succeeding and maybe failing at creating opportunities for young people. I think at the moment, um, uh, we are not doing as much as we, we should um, to encourage young people to be a part of the sector. Maybe um, I see a lot of energy towards um, in in different, I would say, parts of this chain, more so the in the consuming countries, I see a rise in more baristas and perhaps roasters. But I would say the problem lies at origins, uh, from my observation, um, in Latin America and in Africa as well, in getting a consistent flow of youth interested in taking up careers within uh, the coffee sector. And uh, where I see us failing as an industry is the fact that we are not demystifying coffee enough to young people at origin. Uh, It's still a very gray area for them, a very sort of alien idea for them to take up careers where they don't see themselves. They don't see a true reflection of, you know, the same way they say that women will aspire to something once, once they see one of them or someone that looks like them climbing up a certain ladder or someone who looks like them uh, being in a certain position, we are not telling those positive stories of young people who are doing, I would say, badass, really, really great things within the coffee sector. Um, So the more, and which is why one of my greatest passions is highlighting positive stories of um, projects at Origin, that are incorporating youth, but also relatable examples. I think all of us benefit from a relatable example in whatever aspect of your, I mean, career you're at, and you aspire to to be a better person when you see that, oh, it is indeed possible for me to own uh, a coffee business. It is indeed possible for me to aspire to be a professional within the coffee sector, be it as a Q grader, outside of also barristers, because I think, the bar- being a barista, of course, is a career even I would say in Kenya, a lot of people are familiar with. But in as much as it may seem out of reach for certain youth, because maybe they're from a disadvantaged community, um, we would like to highlight the fact that it, it it is achievable if perhaps you were exposed or got this type of education. So I think the challenge for the industry would be what, how can we structure the education that we offer in each of our capacities, be it as, a, as an organization, say the SEA or um, in the private sector, what forms of um, education can be offered to youth at origin to help them understand that there is an opportunity for them to take up coffee as a viable business outside of just growing the coffee. And uh, a lot of them, of course, are not inspired because they don't think coffee is profitable. Their parents are often complaining about the pricing and about other issues within the coffee sector. So how do we change this story? How do we make it a more positive, a more relatable story that indeed, yes, we do have challenges within the coffee sector, but indeed there is hope. And as a young person, I can aspire 
to create a niche for myself within the coffee sector. Absolutely. I think that point about representation mattering is so true. And when you're talking about young people and producers not seeing that opportunity, you know, it feels to me like I know how we got to this point. I know how we got to a point where young people in coffee producing communities don't see opportunity there in the future. Um, and I feel like uh, to get ourselves out, we'll need some pretty major efforts toward inspiring those those young people. But that there is there is a lot of will. There's a lot of imagination. There's a lot of you know new ideas and energy in those same people. So that if we can do a better job, then um, there's a lot of opportunity that we probably can't even uh, can't even foresee from where we are now. Yeah, I, to, I totally agree uh, with that, and I think. Certainly, it's not. It's uh, there's a lot of hope, and um, for me, I see lots of opportunities, both I mean collaborations and various projects to to get more youth involved in the sector. All right. Well, thank you so much, Baba, for um, being here for this uh, this great introduction to, as I said earlier, one of my favorite presentations from Rico this year. Thanks, Kim, and. Uh, I'm delighted that you liked it. <laughs> and, um, I look forward to helping uh, or becoming that change maker that the, the industry uh, needs. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That was Bava Anguenye at Rico Symposium this past April. Remember to check out our show notes to find a link to the YouTube videos of this talk and a link to the speaker bios on the Rico website. This has been an SCA podcast brought to you by the members of the Specialty Coffee Association and supported by Toddy. I'm Kimalena Ionescu. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. You're all I need to get by. I, you're all just like the morning dew. I need, I took one look at you to get by.